Please listen carefully, carefully, carefully. Welcome to the Utterly Moderate Podcast. I'm Lawrence Eppard. I hope everybody had a wonderful 4th of July holiday. I personally love the 4th of July, both for what it represents, as I believe there's so much to love about the United States, but also for the way that we celebrate it. I love time with family, the barbecues, the fireworks. I'm a huge classical music fan, and there's a bunch of classical music that's associated with the holiday such as John Philip Sousa's Washington Post March, which is playing behind me. My co-host, Ali Dagnus, has a very busy schedule today, and our guest today, Hillary Burton Morgan, also has a really busy schedule, and today was the only day that we could sit down with her, so um, we're going to make it work. Allie will join us in a moment, and she can only stay for a few minutes, so you're stuck with me for most of today's episode. (laughs) But um, anyhow, so our listeners know that our podcast is educational, but every once in a while we change it up. We'll do a mailbag episode, or like today, we do an interview episode with an interesting person. So today we are going to interview actress Hilary Burton Morgan, known for her starring roles on the television shows One Tree Hill and White Collar. Her guest appearances on shows like Grey's Anatomy and The Walking Dead, where she was the on-screen wife of her real-life husband, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, better known as Negan. Hillary is also a best-selling author. Be sure to check out her book, Rural Diaries, as well as a host of the new and massively successful podcast, Drama Queens. I am very excited to talk to Hillary today. I'm not only a big fan of her work, but I've also known Hillary since I was a child, so... We will talk with Hillary Burton Morgan up next. All right, Hillary, we are so excited you're here. Welcome to the show. Hi, bud. How you doing? You good. <laughs> good. How are you? <laughs> I mean, so far, so good. Depends on what you're going to ask me. I'm nervous. <laughs> I see a Russell Wilson jersey on the wall behind you. Who's the Russell Wilson fan? I married a Seattle dude. I you didn't know? know that. Oh, yes. Here comes my daughter. Hey, do you like the Seahawks, George? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't don't. So <laughs> don't play that for Jeffrey. <laughs> oh, that's a killer. He's going to be heartbroken. <laughs> I'm going to pull that clip. That's in our new intro from now on. <laughs> You're scared. Oh. That's okay. I'm a scary guy. Yeah. Hold on. Gus is saying hi. Can you say hey, hi? Hey, Gus. Hello. Hey, but you know, my son talks about you nonstop. My son, Riley. Do you guys remember boogie boarding with him a few summers ago? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He he, uh, he talks about you all the time. When are we going to see Gus again? We got to have an Outer Banks party, right? Yes. Gus. <laughs> <laughs> nice seeing you, Gus. Here. Ooh, hey, is this a podcast? Oh, it is. Hey, will you take sis and get her ice cream? Ooh. We got her ice cream. Give her another one. Oh my. 
Mom's in charge. Two ice creams. Something you probably didn't know about me is that I'm the fun mom. <laughs> I probably could have guessed that, yeah. Hillary, it looks like Allie has arrived, and while she gets all mic'd up and she gets her headphones on, um, we were actually talking about Hillary Burton Morgan trivia, Allie and I, before uh, the show, preparing for the show, and she was shocked to hear that your father on One Tree Hill was named after me, uh, which was very flattering. Uh, and here's another piece of trivia, Allie. Do you got your headphones? Um, at Hillary's farm, where she is broadcasting from today, she has an emu which I know you love, Allie. You have an emu? That's the coolest thing in the entire world. Of course I have an emu. <laughs> I love that. Okay, continue. Tell Listen, it was, like a, it was a viral news story that my husband saw. It was all over Yahoo News. It was all over the place. And people had been sending it be, to me all day that this donkey and this emu were in love. And they could <gasps> not be separated. I saw that story. Yeah. Well, guess what? So did everyone. And I got so many phone calls like, Hillary, you should take these. And I'm here by myself a lot. And there is a pretty significant workload here. And I was like, guys, we can't take on one more thing. We cannot take on one more thing. And then I get home and my sweet, beautiful husband is like, baby, guess what? I got a coming. (laughs) And I was just like, cool. Good story. That makes sense. Um, uh-huh. They are legitimately in love. You cannot separate them. They eat out of the same bowl. They sleep together. They run around the yard together. They're they're a unit. Oh my! You know, it's God. funny you you called him your sweet nice. beautiful husband. That's what Allie calls him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I'm also calling your donkey and emu. I mean, right now, like that's I share Allie. I'm a really reasonable woman. I was, look. Yeah, I mean, okay, wait. Can we get back to your emu and your your donkey? Are, do they have names? Have you named them? Oh yeah, no, we got them. They were already named. They were named Jack and Diane. Um, okay. Oh wow. That's you know what yeah. I I've I've heard that song before. That's amazing. <laughs> My daughter was feeding them this morning. She's like, Diane's crazy. She has dinosaur feet. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So I see that you gave your daughter the middle name Virginia. I sure did an homage <laughs> and I gave her the first name George, which is clearly after your fifth grade role as George Washington. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. When he. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We'll get to that. We'll get now, to that. <laughs> we're getting to that right now. Okay. You and Lauren. It wasn't just that, Allie. Maybe like, tell me. I. I loved Larry so much. We had been in school together since kindergarten, and he was always like the well-dressed boy, the one who played the piano at the talent show. And like he was the overachiever in all the gifted and talented programs. He was a freaking winner. And I was like, that's the one for me. And so we were cast as George and Martha Washington in fifth grade. Oh, it was all my dreams coming true. It was like it was written in the stars. Yeah. 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 Okay. I'm excited that I have on tape that he was cool and an overachiever (laughs) and well-dressed and he wore a wig. And that's just, we're going to leave that aside. It all spiraled out of control from there, my friend. My next question is, did that role as Martha Washington inspire you to become an actress? I mean, at this moment, were you like... Yes, this is it. This, no, I want I, more of this. I'd actually been doing um, theater at the high school since third grade. You know, they what? 
they do a couple plays that require little kids. So like Sound of Music, they did when I was oh, in third sure. grade. And so I went and I played one of the Von Trapp children. And then they did the Music Man when I was in fifth grade. And I got cast again as Amaryllis. And so I'd been hanging Ooh. out with all these cool like drama high school kids with their goth makeup and their funny little jackets. And, you know, I, I loved... Um, I really loved theater. And I think growing up in D like outside the DC area, we had access to so many amazing venues, you know, close to where we grew up. We had Wolf Trap. Mm-hmm. We had Ford's theater. We had the national theater. We had the Kennedy center, which we went to on all our field trips. Like yeah. we were really blessed that we had access to so much. And so yeah. what is your, uh, wait, no, no, Larry. <laughs> And I'm going to milk that one as hard as I can during this podcast, Larry. I go by Lawrence now. Thank you. Okay, Wait, are you Lawrence now? He's all fancy. Oh, no, no, no. Larry. He's Larry. He's Larry. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've got some notebooks up in the attic that have like Lawrence Michael Eppard, like written with hearts and stuff around. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's I promise the best you. We are going to link to that in the show notes. Okay. Wait. Okay. So <laughs> I am made of questions. So. Can you remember like early plays that you went to and you thought, oh, yeah, like like you already had been Amaryllis in The Music Man? Are oh, you kidding yeah. me? That's, that was that was like my aspiration was to oh, be really? in The Music Man. Yeah. No, I was a so town person and I had all of my lines taken away from me because I talked too much. So, <laughs> so can you remember early like Ken Sen or early like you were yeah. at Wolf Trap and you're just like, oh, I well, want to be in. For sure. We um. We got to go see a production of The Most Dangerous Game, which was really fantastic. And we saw it at a really young, impressionable age. Um, Larry and I were part of one of those gifted and talented programs called Futura, where we didn't have <laughs> recess. We had diversions. And like, oh, yeah. we, <laughs> like they taught us to buy stocks and forth. We, and we forth. literally learned Esperanto. Oh, oh Esperanto. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god everything is it is becoming so much clearer yeah i cannot, I cannot we, thank you enough for coming on this kids. and so you know we had to do debate i remember larry and i in particular had to do a debate about the clinton administration in light of the monica Lewinsky scandal as 10 year olds and it never phased us we were just like okay let's go great you know let's <laughs> um so we, they treated us like adults in this program. And so they also exposed us to some adult subject matter. And the most dangerous game was definitely, you know, um, it's, it's deep subject matter for a 10, 11 year old. Uh, and then the following year, I started doing theater at the Kennedy Center and Wolf Trap. I started like acting professionally in town. Wow. So I did like the marriage of Figaro there. Um, How old were you? Like 11. Wow. We were little, wow. you know, but I tried to get Larry. I started doing professional theater in Alexandria and we were doing a production of uh, A Tale of Two Cities. And they were like, Hillary, we'd really like to follow this up with a production of Wuthering Heights, but we need a young Catherine and young Heathcliff. Do uh, you know of a boy who could be Heathcliff? And I was like, do I? <laughs> 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 so I remember being on the phone with Larry at my parents' house, just like with the phone cord, like, Larry, please, please do the play. We could be Catherine and Heathcliff. And he Did I say no? You said no, you were like playing football. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we had a really golden childhood. 
Um, we grew up in an area that really provided us so much opportunity. And so it's fun to grow up and then collaborate with your childhood friends later. Now, did you go to like uh, drama camp and then did you go, uh, did you, did you go to high? Did you go to high school? Larry? I did. I did. No, <gasps> I, I got a um, high school Larry stories. Honey, we've known each other our entire oh, life. That I know. I just want to. I just want more stories of the Hillary and my wife were cheerleaders together. Yeah, oh, I'm more in love with his wife than I am with uh, him. Yeah, um, but that's very common, Hillary. I mean, that's like a yeah. I used to date his wife's brother. Like we grew up in this small town where everybody kissed everybody and everybody dated everybody because that's all there was. Like we weren't going to other high schools, right? Shopping. Right. We had so much at Parkview. Why would we ever? You know? <laughs> um, Parkview was it. It was it. And so, yeah. I mean, I started. Um, I got an agent when I was in seventh and eighth grade, and I started. I had no idea about that. Really? Yeah, I went. Holy moly. I went to Reston Town Center. There was this like big convention there where the, all these agents from New York came down and you would go and kind of audition for them. And so I got an agent, um, but I started going to New York on these trips with my dad and realized that they were always like casting 27 year olds to play teenagers. And I was like, I'm just going to go to high school. <laughs> like, I'll, go, I'll go to college in New York. Um, so cut to, you know, 10 years later and I'm, in my twenties playing a teenager again. Did you go to college in New York? I did. I went to Fordham at Lincoln center. Oh, um, cool. it, that was a great campus because you're in the city, mm-hmm. but there's also kind of this little safety net with the, the small city campus. And we were right next to Juilliard and Lincoln center where all the artsy kids hang out around the fountain. And it felt like fame, you know, like all the <laughs> just bursting into song at the <laughs> like slightest yeah. provocation. Actually. Yeah. Oh um, God, it's real. It is real. <laughs> so it, was, uh, it was definitely a change of pace from Sterling, Virginia, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, New York was fun. We had a good time. Hey, so go, go back a bit. So as I as I knew Hillary growing up <laughs> from the earliest years, she was so self-assured. Like it was like you couldn't phase her. You know, you criticize her or whatever. <laughs> like she was so self. What's that? I said, is that a euphemism for cocky? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I mean, like uh, you knew what you were going to, it just seemed like you knew what you were going to do and you, and you knew that it was good and it didn't matter like what some stupid boy thought. So yeah, my, my point, my point being like you all, it was clear you always wanted to do this, but when, at what age did you know, like, this is, I'm actually going to do this as a career. Like I know you always wanted to, but when did it click that like, this is going to happen for me? Well, when I went to governor's school, so for anybody who's not from the state of Virginia, um, it exists in a couple different states, but in Virginia specifically, there is a summer program between junior and senior year in high school where kids in all sorts of different um, humanities, um, whether it's, you know, literature, the arts, uh, visual arts, dance, um, sculpture, acting, singing, all those things, you go and you audition. And maybe the 15 best kids in every division from the entire state get to go to this summer camp. And so I made it for acting. And so it was this very concentrated summer program where it was like, 
we're not doing this for fun, kids. We're doing this because you're going to go out there and make a living doing this. And it was, they treated us like adults. Um, So at that point, I was like, oh, yeah, no, I mean, this is clearly what I'm going to do. And I'd still maintained a relationship with my agent in New York. And so I'd gotten some full rides to schools in Virginia that my family was really excited about. And I didn't take them because I knew that in order to do what I wanted to do, I had to be where the business was happening. Um, So I specifically picked a school. I applied to every school in New York. And I just went to the one that gave me the most money. I was like, I don't care. Whatever. (laughs) Um, And my family was supportive of that, which was amazing. Um, So yeah, I mean... That was when I really knew like, I can do this professionally. I can pay my bills doing this. I got to New York and two weeks after like freshman orientation, I still hadn't made it yet. (laughs) I remember like, (laughs) I remember just like weeping uncontrollably in this boy Tom's room. And I was like, I don't know, maybe it was a mistake. And then two days later, a talent coordinator from MTV came to my campus and picked me up off the street and put me on TV and I got a job. Oh my God. Oh wait. So yeah. So, so tell us the whole breaking into MTV story. Yeah. And did you overlap with Dave Holmes at all? I did. Do you know Dave? I don't know him personally, but I desperately want to. I am such a huge fan. I love his writing. I just, I, I just, Oh, he's so, he's, He's, He's such an incredibly kind man. He's, um, he sure seems it. He really He does. really is. The whole bunch at MTV, I can't think of a better place for me to land as a child. Because we really had only been out of high school for like two months when I started working there. And I was everybody's little sister. So I never saw drugs. I never saw illicit behavior. I never saw anything bad. I was so protected um, and really, you know, nurtured there in a way that made me naive. Because then when I went to work at other places in my industry, it was like, oh, oh, people are terrible. (laughs) I'm not protected (laughs) in the world. All my big brothers are gone. Um, But they were so good to me. And it was wonderful to learn the industry as an interviewer. You know, you watch people come in with their publicists and their entourage and their stylist and they ignore people or they walk all over people or they try to create a persona that is above everyone else. And oftentimes those are the less talented people. The really, really like truly talented artists come in like Angelina Jolie would always go out of her way to talk to every PA, to make eye contact with people, to really like engage in an earnest way. Hmm. And, and that is kind of an important lesson to learn when you're young in the business. You know, don't be, don't be a jerk. So tell us the story of how, did, how were you approached? How did you, you, you end up on, on uh, Total Request Live, all that kind of stuff? So, you know, what's funny is... Um, Obviously, we know all about the Epstein stuff now, right? Like we've all heard the stories about the modeling agency and all those kinds of things. And being on the Upper West Side where my campus was, we were warned at freshman orientation, like, hey, there's going to be modeling scouts that come by our campus and try to recruit you. Those are creeps. Like you don't want that. And so I had a chip on my shoulder um, and this beautiful blonde woman came up to me and was like, Hey, what are you girls doing today? I was with my roommate and I was like, we're busy. I've got poli size scram, you know? (laughs) (laughs) 
And Polly she said, like, I saved you. One yeah, she was like, I'm from MTV. And I was like, okay, good story, lady. Like, I got class. Um, and my roommate's father had been a musician. And unfortunately, he passed away. And his like one dream was to be on MTV. And so my roommate was a girl I really love and re- respected. She's like, Hillary, we have to go. So I was like, okay, fine, whatever. You know what I was wearing, Larry? I was wearing Jimmy Kane's New Kids on the Block t-shirt. I'd stolen <laughs> it from him. And that's what they thought was cool. Um, I still have it. I was, that is cool. It's demonstrably <laughs> I was wearing, cool. I was wearing leather pants and a New Kids on the Block t-shirt I stole from one of our classmates. Like, it's about as cool as it gets right there. <laughs> um, so we got to the MTV building in Times Square, which was my first time in Times Square. And outside of the building, they asked, hey, um, we want you to do a contest, Eh, meaning me. And I was like, no, 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 let let her do it. She's the one that wants to be here. I'm just support. They're like, no, we want you to do it. You're the bossy one. Uh, (laughs) Okay. So they had me do this contest where two other kids and I had to interview Carson for 30 seconds, Carson Daly. And the other kids were asking him, like, do you wear boxers or briefs? You know, like kind of dorko questions. And Larry knows I'm incredibly competitive. She's like, how many judges on the Supreme Court, Carson? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not losing to these guys. Um, And so I asked him, I was like, you find out you're adopted. Which two pop stars do you pray every night of your parents? And he says, Prince and Debbie Gibson, which is the perfect answer. And uh So my prize for winning that was that I got to do the red carpet interviews at the VMAs. Um, Wow. So they sent me to that. And then when I was kind of like a total dick to everybody, (laughs) they're like, oh, she's kind of unfazed by all these people. Let's hire her permanently to be our like cranky little college student. (laughs) Um, I'd never been allowed to watch MTV. So I didn't know who anybody was. So it's hard, you know, to be intimidated if you don't know who the boy bands are. I don't know. It's funny you mentioned, I don't remember you as being a cranky person, but uh, I, remember, <laughs> I was reading some some stuff leading up to this interview to try to develop, you know, the questions and things like that. I I, I was reading uh, about One Tree Hill and it said something about in season three, they started to tone down Peyton's crankiness a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I got typecast as like the cranky kid in everything. It's a strong B. Arthur energy. They're like, well, she's tall, she's gangly, and she's pretty bitter. So, (laughs) make her the bitch. Um, That is not the persona I remember from from ever interacting with you. No, I mean, I worked hard for it, honey. I worked (laughs) so hard for it. So you guys are talking about Sterling, Virginia, like small town, small town. It is not a small town. It was. Then it was. Yes, it was. But Hillary, have you been back to that area? And do you drive around and you're like, oh, wow, this is different. Yeah. I mean, I go back a lot. Um, So when when Larry and I were there, we had German class in like ninth or 10th grade. And I remember we had to do a report about our town all in German. And we had to look up the population of our town. And I remember it being like... 9,000 people. So uh, we did grow up in a small town. There were cows behind our high school. When we would go play other high schools in football, they'd tease us. You know, we'd go to Herndon and they'd be like, would you guys bring the cows? You know, drive your tractors here. Yeah. And so (laughs) in 
the late 90s, early 2000s when AOL moved in and all of a sudden there was this population explosion, the town that we knew was gone. And I left for college and came back. Um, All of the farms along Route 7 were being turned into subdivisions. And I joked that the only thing that we grew anymore were houses. Um, It's really, you know, development is everything there. And so we had a... A, f- a handful of high schools when Larry and I graduated, and now there's, you know, what, 25 or something? Allie, I don't know how much you know about that area. Ashburn didn't even exist when we were kids. No. It was a bedroom community of D.C. when yeah, we were kids. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. So, go ahead, Hillary. Well, no, I mean, so, there's been a lot of growth there, and... Now that I live in New York, where they have experienced similar growth in communities, what they did up here is rather than let developers build a new high school every time they build a new subdivision, they said, you know what you're going to do up here? You're going to add on to the existing high school so that we're not constantly pulling the wealth out of the older communities. We're not constantly giving new resources to the rich kids and and leaving the poor kids in the in the subdivisions from the 60s. Uh, so up here, the high school has like 4,000 students, but they've got a theater that rivals Broadway and they've got a marching band that wins all the awards and they've got wow. sports teams that are killer and they've got kids who are on food stamps and they've got billionaires' children. You know, the... To see it done in such a different way and be done so well is really inspiring. And so Loudoun County is a place I love dearly, but I do uh, speak up often about how they have self-segregated. You know, our high Not just with your voice, though. You speak up with your wallet. You went back to Parkview and made changes. Project Patriot. What we ended up finding out is that all the other high schools had these really robust PTAs and parent associations, and they were raking in like hundreds of thousands of dollars in their sports events. Whereas at Parkview, this notion that it was a dangerous place had been spread throughout the community because it is a predominantly minority population there. So I went back to Parkview and saw it for myself. The kids at this school are the most sincere, sweet, energetic, enthusiastic kids. And unfortunately, their parents work the jobs that don't allow them to do all the PTA stuff. They're working two and three jobs. So as alumni, we came together and formed this group called Project Patriot. And we brought the football team back. The varsity football team had disbanded. So we brought that back and we sponsored some, you know, gymnastic stuff. We just helped with the weight room, you know, anything coaches or club sponsors need, they come to us and we give them the money for it. You know, they're good kids. They deserve to be put on a pedestal and applauded. And so, um, if the county good egg Hillary, I like them. You know what? I like underdogs. And our kids at Parkview are underdogs and they're scrappy and they're smart and they're so much more prepared for the real world because they haven't been coddled. And so I'm smug when I go in there. I'm like, y'all are winners. Like, we can hang. 
Hillary, you know, it's funny. And, and again, you know who I'm talking about, but no reason to call him out on the pod unless he wants to be called out on the pod. <laughs> um, but I still have a very good, very good friend who works at Parkview. And it's so funny because uh, there is kind of it's and it's, you know, it's, there's a lot of race involved in thinking yeah. about our time there where it was predominantly white and now it's predominantly Hispanic. And, uh, you know, the race plays a huge role in how people characterize those two different time periods. But it's funny because if you talk to him, he still works there. Everybody else fled. They went to the new rich schools that were being built. Yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about. You know who I'm talking about. And he stayed there and he says, uh, and he's not putting us down, by the way. You know, he loves all of us. He loves (laughs) you. He loves me. Uh, But he says, he's like, you know, people will look down on this school. It has none of the clicks. And none yeah. of the divisions that your guys' school had, it yeah. really is a nice place to work. When I went back, so I go back for pep rallies and kids, kind of the general conception is that kids nowadays are so jaded, you know, they're like, oh, this is so dorky and school sports. It's just a concussion waiting to happen. And there's kind of this Eeyore mentality that... um is attributed to a lot of teenagers in the like American cultural landscape. And you go into a Parkview high school pep rally and every single child is on their feet. There's not one, like I'm too cool for this kid. They're all on their feet. They're all wearing their class colors. They're all engaged. And so it's very hurtful when other parts of the community label them like gang members. That was a big thing. There's so much labeling that happens when a different um, when a different culture is brought in to what was a predominantly white place. So if we can champion these Parkview kids, it's fitting that our mascot was the Patriots because they exemplify what it is to be a Patriot. They love their school. They love their country. They love working hard. Like they're really so wonderful. Um, and so I just want them to have. I want them to have all the things, <laughs> all the resources. And Hillary puts puts her uh, energy and her money and her time where her mouth is, and she does it. So she's a good. My husband, he's like, what else are we doing? I <laughs> <Yeah>. said, <laughs> Jeffrey, 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 we really need Nike to send cleats to the kids. Will you tweet it out? And he's like, okay. Like he likes helping because he was. He was the captain of his basketball team. So he also values what extracurricular means in a kid's life. Because if you have a rough home life, if you don't have resources, you know, I joined every single club at school because it's where I felt safe. It's where you I were felt super like, involved. Holy moly. I loved also, it. He he did he did adopt an emu. So it's I mean, like yeah. it's like he's yeah. a sweetie. It's it's a balanced, it's a very balanced relationship it's sorry yeah. jeff but like, uh next year me and you got to be principal and vice principal he of the gets school. <laughs> you get your thing that's like, um, baby we're throwing prom at the farm <laughs> that's exactly oh my god like the kids wouldn't freaking love that i mean you got an emu and a donkey who are in love with each other please like that what they would walk to that that's amazing. that'll be in the pictures you know yeah. hillary can you can you tell us the story of you and i mean I, I read a little bit about it online tell us the story of you and jeff going on a blind date i believe and the whole story of that before you get started with that, um, just because I have to run, my my daughter is just back right now. It was such a delight to be I'm so you. happy to see you. Thank you so much for joining yeah. us. This really was 
so much fun. I mean, I'm going to be making, you, I'm gonna be making so much hay out of this. Wow. You were magnificent. She and has pictures. She has lots of, she kept everything. I guess I've got like newspapers of Larry in them. I've got everything. <laughs> All right. Allie, leave before you convince Hillary to tell more childhood stories. <laughs> oh, we lost her. All right. So, uh, oh, by the way, thank you for doing this. Oh my God. Of course. I feel bad. You realize you, you, like, you have the number one, that. you have the number one podcast in the country right now. You realize that? Um, in a lot of countries, Larry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, wow. You just put me in my place. <laughs> listen, listen, when you're a teen drama actress, you're so bottom of the barrel. Like everyone treats you like you're a little idiot. And so for us 20 years later to just come in and, you know, create something that does well right out of the gates. Um, there's a little bit of, I don't know. There's just joy in it. Cause you're like, you guys are killing it. And we're having fun and there's a message behind it. You know, like we're reclaiming the work that we did as young people, but we're also correcting some stuff that was done wrong. And, and we want to make the landscape for female narratives safer for young women who, you know, who are 20 now. If we can fix it for the new kids coming in, awesome. Uh, and, and we don't need to go down the toxic workplace, Me Too uh, avenue with this. We can go a little more fun, uh, but, 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 still, but still juicy. And you don't have to tell who it is, right? Fun. Uh, but give me, uh, what's some of the worst behavior you've ever seen on a, on a movie or television set? You don't have to name the person. And it doesn't got to be Me Too stuff, but... Uh, there's some do's, do's and don'ts of, of uh, being on a set. Do's and don'ts. So, so when I started doing One Tree Hill, there were a couple young actors who came on and had really never been on a show before. And uh, my first piece of advice to any young actor is get the call sheet, which is the sheet that says like what we're going to film that day, who every single crew member is, um, when lunch is. It's just it's a piece of paper that holds all the information for the day. And I tell them to flip it over to the back where the entire crew is listed and you learn everyone's name. You learn the camera operator's name. You learn the PA's names. You learn catering's names, wardrobe, whatever. They are there before you and they leave after you. And it is so important to respect the team. It's a team sport mentality. Like you would never play baseball and not know the name of your center fielder, you know? So that is a really important thing to do. Um, Bad behavior. God. Give me, give me one funny story. That's gotta be, you don't have to name the person, but uh, yeah, I mean, somebody like demanding all Brown M&Ms in there. There's a very dear friend of mine. Um, who had ordered breakfast at work because we come in really early in the morning Mm -hmm. and got called to set the second he got his breakfast and it was like hot breakfast. You know, you got to eat it then or it's gonna be terrible later. It was like a, like a breakfast burrito. And they were like, no, you have to come to set now. You have to come right this very second right now. And he just took his burrito and threw it at this chain link fence and it got all like mangled in the fence. And then no one cleaned it up. It just rotted there <laughs> like, for, forever. Burrito uh, in the sun. 
(laughs) And we still, I mean, we still joke about the burrito in the fence. It was just (laughs) an awesome display of like, I've had it. Um, Yeah, that's, people in our industry have bad days. Um, I freaked out one day. Oh, tell us. You I, had, us. I had had my wisdom teeth taken out. Okay, and you get, you get permission to freak out on that. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Well, and LASIK surgery. Oh, um, <laughs> I was like, I've got a week off. I'm going to do everything. And so I did all this stuff. And then the schedule changed. And they're like, we got to bring you in. And so they didn't do my makeup um, because my face was like mangled. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, they're shooting my close up and my sweet, you know, my super sweet, very like quiet and shy makeup artist comes over to be like, I'm so sorry, please let me just like touch your face because she looks terrible. Uh, (laughs) And the director starts screaming at her and publicly humiliating her in front of hundreds of extras. And like, I had just had it that day and was like, what are we going to embarrass everyone? That's how we're a leader. Fantastic. You know, (laughs) and I got really loud about it. And I was like, cool, be a bully. And just was so antagonistic also because I'm doped up. Yeah, you right. Know? You're just high off of <laughs> the pain painkillers for my wisdom teeth, <laughs> and uh, drooling all over the place. Yeah, it, it was just it turned into this whole thing. And thank God, cell phone cameras didn't exist back then because I was like, "Aren't you know, we all lucky? Aren't we lucky to have grown up in a time without that kind of stuff?" Larry, I was like, "Y'all sort this shit out." When you you'd be like Christian Bale. <laughs> oh, for sure. I was like, I'm leaving set. Let me know when you've publicly apologized to this sweet woman. I'm out. And I left. At least yours uh, was righteous, right? Like I don't like know. humiliation as a leadership tactic. It's not yeah. my favorite. Yeah. It's not my favorite. Tell us about about uh meeting uh, tell us the the whole from the beginning to, to now. <laughs> how did you meet Jeff, the blind date, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean I don't know, Larry. What's been my dating history? Um, I was dating a lot of like waiters. I came to your wedding. <laughs> I came to your wedding and I was single and like you guys, it was literally the best wedding ever. <laughs> and everybody like stayed together in beach houses and it was so fun. It was and pretty much our whole hometown came to our wedding. <laughs> it was. And it was like the best all class reunion. Um it was so, so, so fun. And I was like, I want this. I want this. But I, all the guys that I'm dating are like musicians or they're waiter, you know, like they're You're, just. You were too you know, famous at that point, you know? No, but I had had, I had a 401k. I had a mortgage. I was adulting super hard. And it was hard to meet anyone my age that was also doing that. So. How do you meet somebody who's also not just fame seeking when you're at that point? I'd never dated an actor. Like uh, I never, ever, ever dated actors. Well, that's that was, my point though, right? Like if you date somebody who's just a normal person, how do you know they're not just seeking that lifestyle, seeking you? Well, I dated a couple like teachers. Um, okay. Teachers don't care. You know, <laughs> they're like, can you read? Um, <laughs> so my girlfriend, Danielle and her husband, Jensen Ackles, I would stay on their couch every time I went to LA. And I think Jensen got really frustrated with me like dating dorks because he knew <laughs> he was going to have to hang out with whoever I brought him up. 
I got to hook up with somebody I like. Well, yeah. And so <laughs> they were like, we want to introduce you to this actor that Jensen works with. And I hadn't watched TV in years because I was working 18 hours a day. Like who's have, have you seen Denny? Everybody Denny? loves Denny. No, I'd never seen Jeffrey in anything <laughs> ever. And so the night we met, I was such a bitch, Larry. Like, <laughs> so mean to him. I read that it was love at first sight. That can't be true. Yeah, no. You were so mean to him. Was so handsome. And but oh, well, he was yes. so like definitely an actor, which was something that I really fought against. Mm. And um I remember like being at the table and Daniil and Jensen were like, he's an action hero because he had just done The Watchmen. Ah, uh, yeah. Good man. And I was like, well, you're good no in Campbell. Like to me, Bruce Campbell from Evil Dead, like that's an action hero. <laughs> and I think he was the right amount of offended. But you said also, that to him? Yeah, I said it to him. <laughs> oh, so this was a group date. It wasn't just you two. No, no. We had to have chaperones. Gotcha. Um, but then like Danielle and Jensen disappeared. Like Jeffrey <laughs> conveniently had just bought this beautiful house right around the corner and was like, why don't you, you know, the bar's closing. Why don't you guys come over? And the next thing I know, like Jensen and Danielle have completely disappeared. They're like in a hot tub somewhere. And Jeff and I are in his house and he just starts like slow dancing with me. And I was like, what is okay. Fine. <laughs> fine. When, you, when you're Jeffrey Dean Morgan, you can pull that move. I mean, come on. He, he's an incredibly um, smooth dude. So yes. I know. I was very <laughs> I've been told. <laughs> and believe me, we can, you know, oh, us, us insecure guys, we can see the ones that rule the roost. <laughs> no, it's just, there's a lot of swagger there. So, um, I also know that, that I'm a lot, like I, I'm a lot to deal with. I'm a big personality. I'm a lot to handle. I have a lot of opinions. And so it took someone who also was a very strong personality to go toe to toe with in a healthy way. Like mm. I needed to find someone who I could um, not feel like I had to coddle or, you know, dumb down for. Uh, he works really, really hard. And I was never the prettiest. I was never the most talented, but I always worked harder than anybody else. And he does the same thing. He works harder than anyone I know. And it was, it was pretty irresistible. I was like, great. And so he very quickly was like, I'm taking you on a date. And on that date, he's like, what do you want? I said, I want a farm and I want kids. And he was like, great, let's go. And so we were like pregnant a month later. And then we moved to the Hudson Valley when our son was like nine months old. Um, yeah. It, and you bought a candy store with Paul Rudd? Yeah. Our friend Come on, tell us that Rudd. story. Well, so, you know, you remember the small town businesses that were in Sterling when we were mm -hmm. little, like the yep. Sterling hardware store yep. um, or the cleaners. The high or, up. High up, man. Yeah, <laughs> the high up. And those small town businesses disappeared. And so when we moved here to the Hudson Valley, they didn't have a Starbucks. There was no chain coffee store. It was Samuel's, which was the candy coffee shop. And so that's where Jeffrey specifically would go hang out every day with the owner, a guy named Ira Gutner. 
And he was like the unofficial mayor of town. He was a gay man. He ruled the roost. He knew all the gossip. Every kid in Rhinebeck had worked in the candy shop at some point, And he had like, you know, been a great mentor for these kids. And so unfortunately in 2014, I believe it was 2014, um, he passed away really, really unexpectedly. And we were concerned that his legacy, this like beautiful shop he'd put his whole heart into was going to disappear. So we went out to dinner with our buddies, the Rudds and our friend Andy. um, And Jeff was like, let's just buy it. And everyone's like, well, we don't know anything about the candy business. And then we realized between us, like Andy was a marketing executive. Um, Paul's wife, Julie, had been a vice president at this major production company. Jeff and I are like, you know, hype people. And I really like to get my hands dirty and paint and tinker and fix things up. So we had the skill sets to do it. Um, We just had to, we just had to wing it, man. (laughs) It was fun. Does Rudd live near there? Yeah. Yeah. They live in the city um, and they're so great. You know, they're, Paul's from Kansas City. His wife's from New Jersey. You know, like they didn't grow up in the industry. They're kids from suburbs like you and I are. And and so we want to protect all these little places that remind us of being kids. Now, uh, Paul Rudd's public persona is the sweetest person alive. Is that him? He's incredibly likable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, also maybe, doesn't age, by the way, which is oh really annoying. God, so irritating. <laughs> but it's the same deal with you and your wife. Like, I'm so in love with his wife, Julie, that I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You're fine, Paul. You know? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Ant Man. <laughs> fine. Go talk to the fans. Julie and I are going to sit over here and give scathing looks. Um, <laughs> it's fun to be with another woman who understands what it's like to be like, elbowed out of the way so that a woman can get to your husband. Uh, And we're both just like, listen, if y'all want to pick up their socks, go nuts. (laughs) (laughs) How is, uh, before we move on from that topic though, how is the Samuel Sweet Shop doing? Really, really well. I mean, we pivoted to a lot of online orders during COVID. Yeah. Because no one was able to have birthday parties. No one was able to have anniversaries or baby showers or anything like that. And so we turned some of our space into straight shipping. And it's been lovely because we send things all over the world. Uh, So it's really nice to give people a taste of the Hudson Valley and kind of be ambassadors for our community with global reach. All right. So uh, something else, another pivot during COVID. Pivot. so I, uh, we have a podcast here, obviously the utterly moderate podcast, yeah, you do. I'm so and, <laughs> uh, very different from yours. So, uh, what I did was I went, I wanted to see how we were doing. And so I went to some, um, companies that track podcast performance and I just wanted to enter some other podcasts that I knew just to see. You know, like I listen to the Bulwark podcast or these center right folks that talk about politics. And yeah. I entered I entered drama queens in there because it was new at the time. And I wanted to see how you were doing. And oh, my God, you're killing it. Like uh, in, I, I get these I get daily updates from the podcast oh, no. that, I've, <laughs> that I've put in there. I get daily updates. And I saw, actually I texted you one with with your podcast circled. Um, and. <laughs> Like you're number one in a number of countries, including the United States. So tell us about how that came to be, what it's about, how you're liking it. 
it's like, it's so weird, Larry. Like, <laughs> it's so nice to be able to work from home. What I will say is being a mother in this industry can be really, really difficult because I it's imagine. not like I have an office I can go to yeah. where I set up, you know, a babysitter or daycare and then I go to my office and then I come home. For me to do a job, I have to travel to Vancouver, Toronto, Australia, Georgia. It's never the same place twice. And so there's no stability in it. So what ends up happening is a lot of actresses stop working when they have kids. And then you don't see them again until they're 55 years old and their kids are in college. Mm. You know, So being able to kind of change all of my ambitions to fit the lifestyle I want for my kids has been my priority, which is why I wrote my book. It's why I've committed to being a business owner in our community. Um, And it's why I started producing movies because I was like, Oh, well I get to pick where it happens and when it happens. So um, the podcast is awesome because I can do it from anywhere. And And it's also awesome because it's awesome, but go ahead. Well, you're nice. (laughs) Um, I, uh, I really love Sophia and Joy. Like when we first went into lockdown, they were the first two people I FaceTimed with. And we were all just kind of mystified about what was going on. We were in our kitchens, like drinking wine, cooking dinner, talking to each other. And Sophia was the one that recommended we do a podcast. And she very thoughtfully called me and was like, you know, you're the one that experienced a lot of trauma on the show. How do you feel revisiting it? And on my end, There was stuff I loved. I loved my character. I loved the crew members on the show. I loved the haunted house I lived in when I was in Wilmington. You guys came to my haunted house. Which I visited and you showed me where you talk to ghosts in your house. Yeah, it was so haunted. (laughs) So there are so many things about that chapter of my life that I really, really loved. But I haven't been able to embrace it because there's all this other toxic stuff. So by doing this podcast with the girls, we were watching all the episodes for the very first time um, because we were working back then. We never watched them together and I haven't seen them since they aired, you know, so 2003 is when the last time I saw the pilot episode and watching them together and sharing information, you know, history is based on who's telling it, right? And the three of us have very different versions of what our history was. So we're sharing it finally for the first time. And it's really cathartic and fun. And like, you know, we're all talking about who we had crushes on. And so there's a good amount of like fun dish. Um, And it's fun to see the show through the eyes of the fan base. Because for years, people would come up and be like, oh my God, I love the show so much. And all I could think was like, how, you know, like, what did you like about it? Cause I had all this negative stuff. Mm. Um, and now I get it. Now I see it. And I'm like, oh, wow, we did make something that was really, it was really sweet. Uh, yeah. My students still talk about your show. So, uh, That's so, so weird. I, it's like 20 years later. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, so Oh, by the way, real quick, uh, are, is there going to be any kind of like, you know, we see these shows coming back, like uh, people doing a second run, like Fuller House and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> are we going to see a One Tree Hill down the road? Um, what I will say is there are some people who were on our show way, way, way back when 
who are in positions of power now. You know, we all grew up and became adults and got real jobs, you know, and they have expressed interest in shepherding news stories. And I used to be very turned off to that. But because women are getting more of a say in how female narratives are told, um, given the right circumstances, yeah, maybe. Would you feel better if it was different power structure, different people shaping the stories? And would you almost feel like what, like with drama queens, like a way of sort of recasting the legacy? It's a do-over. Right, right. Because what I want is for our fan base to have fun with the original show, right? But then I want them to have the tools to be able to look at shows specifically about teenagers and say, ooh, that's weird. You know, I want to give them the tools to be able to dissect them because we created a new normal. We created a normal where none of the kids had parents. None of them were virgins. You know, there was like one character who was a virgin and she got married junior year in high school. So her character could start having sex, you know, like (laughs) that's just not how we grew up, Larry. I wasn't even allowed to watch Dawson's Creek. So to do a television show that was hypersexualized, there's a lot of drinking, There was a lot of trauma. Like my character was beat up by men multiple times and never went to a single therapy session, you know, (laughs) like never processed any of it. Um, A man in a leadership position on my show after they beat me up the first time when it aired was like, Oh my God, our young male numbers went through the roof. Our male audience loves watching you get punched in the face. So we're going to bring that guy back to beat you up again later. Wait, no, 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 no. Yeah. Somebody said that with glee. hundred percent. And so that's why if we were to ever do it again, it's got to be all female driven. That's having middle-aged men tell stories about the sexuality and innermost workings of teenage girls. It's like a weird, like Larry, can you Who would have thunk that didn't work? (laughs) Can you imagine going to your publisher and being like, I'd really just love to get inside the mind of a 15-year-old girl. So I'm going to write this book. (laughs) It was treated. Yeah, it was treated (laughs) as so normal in my industry. But if you apply it anywhere else, it's like, ooh, creep. Wow, that guy's a real creep. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I'm not. I'm not surprised by it. Uh, Let me just be clear when I say when I ask you this question. I am not at all surprised. Your fans are not, and I count myself as one of them, are not at all surprised about the success of the pod. But were you surprised that it just went gangbusters right away? I don't want to say I was surprised because our fan base has always been so incredibly loyal. And they jumped on it like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, we, the girls and I got on like a FaceTime after it premiered and we had a nice little cry about it. And we were just like, what? Because for so long we were told how disposable we were. It was just like, we don't need you. We could replace you with any girl and the show would still be whatever, you know? Um, so to be treated by the fan base as not disposable feels really, really nice. It, I mean, I can't say thank you enough. It's just, it's a really nice thing to not feel cheap after all these years. So, uh, this question is kind of weird 
but <laughs> um, because I mean, on the one hand, I'm a sociologist, and and it's like women are never not objectified. But at the same time, you, you describe yourself as being sheltered and oh, yeah. in a bubble and that kind of stuff. So this is sort of a two pronged question. And I'm not sure how related the two things are. So you just go whatever direction you want. With okay. <laughs> but um, so as somebody who, for the longest time, I published in academic journals. Yeah. And that was a very small circle of criticism that you got, this very small group of people. And then I started branching out and doing like um, newspaper articles and that kind of stuff. And it took a while for me to get used to being publicly criticized by people. <laughs> uh, and now I'm just now kind of getting used to that. You're like, so, do you know who I am? I am <laughs> Michael Eppert. <laughs> I'm a lowly professor in Pennsylvania. How a dare doctor. you? <laughs> uh, but so tell me about like, like you're one of Maxim's like, you know, oh, 50 Christ. hottest women in the country and stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not, that, that's not where the, the direction of this question is going though. But like, how long does it take you to get used to being publicly criticized, being publicly objectified, be, you know, being objectified in a way that's like permanent on the internet. Like how, how do you get used to that kind of public attention? Um, and how long does it take to get used to that? So when we first graduated high school, remember like w- the internet wasn't what it is today. Like we had, I didn't have the internet until after high school. Yeah. I mean, we had instant messenger and there were chat rooms um, and like boards where people can post things about you, but they were like really like weird kind of chunky threads that you had yeah. to see through. And so as soon as I started working at MTV, you know, I was live on TV every day for a couple million teenagers and people would say like terrible things all the time. So when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, and you're trying to figure out who you are, but you're also in front of millions of people every day, that can be really um, difficult. And I think it made me a deep introvert because I have created these safe spaces for myself. It was my little haunted house in Wilmington, North Carolina, that I would just hide out in. It's the farm here where I hide out. Um that Wilmington house was gorgeous, by the way. Hey, thanks. I love it. <laughs> I remember it was, your chandelier in particular. It's just like a weird little Victorian house in a weird little historic district. And it was a fun thing to practice being an adult in. You know, so you, like, so you were having to carve out these spaces for yourself. How, mu- how many years did it take you until you came to terms with that kind of public criticism and attention? I mean, I, it still bugs me. Like, I don't think you're ever immune from people picking on you. You don't read the comment section of things, though. Like, you don't go that far. Sometimes I do. Oh. Yeah, because. It's like the, because it's like the, that's like the, one of the levels of hell is the comment is. section of anything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I every once in a while, I'll like check DMs and I'll see some real like nasty stuff. Um, and so I respond. <laughs> and I'm just like, there's a person at the other end of this. And I know you are having fun with your buddies and think you're being cute. Um, but you're not. <laughs> and and that's okay. I, I think um, demystifying people in our industry, I think humanizing connection on social media is really important. Um, I want to defend other people. 
And so sometimes I'll get into it when I see them talking about friends of mine. But Mm. yeah, I don't, you know, we never are above criticism. What I'll say is that I work in an industry And this is something I've been talking about a lot in the last year, especially with Black Lives Matter and with kind of this like global awakening that's happening. I work in an industry where after every single take, the director comes up to you and says, hey, try it different. Maybe do it this way. It could be better if you changed this. And I have to adjust every single take. And so my feelings don't get hurt that they want me to try something new because I know that it's a collaborative experience. And I see so many people unwilling to accept that kind of constructive criticism or be collaborative uh, in a way that's healthy. You know, they, you tell them like, Hey, maybe look at it this way. And they're offended, Mm -hmm. you know, it's my business. So it's an easy thing to apply everywhere else in my life. So my hope is that, you know. But you're also a human. It's got to be hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's why I live on a farm. Like the animals aren't jerks. All right. So tell us about acting on screen with your husband on Ooh. Walking Dead. So how did that come about? And, and what was the experience like? And what was it like for him and for you? It was wild. Here, George just came in. Can you say Hi. She's like, no, um, hi, George, say hi. I'm a stinker. She is Mom. very cute. Mom. Um, yeah, this is, by the way, like this with the kid running in, this is the experience. You know, we, um, we went down to Georgia. We lived on set. They were trying to protect us from COVID and they were like, well, we can't put you in a hotel. We can't put you like out in the community. But the show owns this subdivision in Sonoya, Georgia, that they just use as a set. There's huge walls up around it. And, um, and they, they own all the houses. And so they were like, you know, what? we'll just use those. So it was us and a couple other actors who were filming these bottle episodes of the show. And we moved into Rick Grimes' house. Yeah, with George, who learned to ride a bike in the apocalypse. You got pretty Uh, curly hair, George. Oh, can you say thank you so much? Those are natural curls. You don't need a stylist for that. Oh, no. But it was like this. We would, we had the kids. We um, would get ready for work. They'd turn mom into a zombie. We'd have breakfast. (laughs) How'd your kids react to you being a zombie? Was it weird when mom was a zombie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was I scary? Oh, yeah. So we went down and we lived in Rick Grimes' house. And it is a set where Jeffrey has like eviscerated people and made <laughs> and like thrown people through windows. Or maybe he was thrown through a window there. The bat with the barbed wire on it. Yeah. Yeah. And hey, how he, did how did Jeff like uh, Dave Chappelle's funny sketch about him? Oh my god, we ran into him right after that at like the <laughs> Emmy, and it, like we geeked out so hard. It was freaking hilarious. That's how you know you made it when Dave Chappelle's making <laughs> fucking. Yeah. We geeked out so hard, and so for our children, 
living in this place where they'd seen dad do all this stuff was really weird. Yeah, uh, they yeah. decorated the house in all of the furniture from like Negan's sets. Oh, wow. So it all was kind of like bordello-y and cool. <laughs> um, and there's like dents in all the drywall from all the stunts gone wrong. And there's like <laughs> bullet spray in my son's room. Just like the walls are like buckshot. <laughs> and so when you would leave the house, there's like all the apocalyptic sets. There's just like debris everywhere and rusted out, you know, toys and broken down cars all over the place. So it was strange because it was peak pandemic. It was the month of the election and we were in Georgia. And so to be surrounded by these 20 foot walls and be living in a fake apocalypse while kind of a real apocalypse is happening outside those walls was really surreal. There was a lot of stuff going on. Um, but I'm happy our kids have that. They have that tangible thing where they can watch mom and dad. It's like mom and dad made a project. You know, we like did a book report together, except it was a TV show. Okay, Hillary. So, uh, Jeff is still doing The Walking Dead, and uh, you've got this huge hit podcast. Tell us about the projects that you and Jeff are excited about and all the different things you're excited about moving forward. God, there's so much. I don't, I'm, I don't know how to do one thing at a time. Um, <laughs> so I'm working on my second book, which is really fun. Congratulations. Uh, thanks. Harper One is my publisher and they've been so good to me. You know, Rural Diaries was really exciting. Mm -hmm. It made the New York Times bestseller list like right out of the gates, which is probably like of all the stuff I've ever done in my professional career. That is the thing that made me just like weep like a baby. Like Aww. that, that got me really, really hard. Um, so I love that. I love writing, you know, and I, well, you're, you, I mean, going back to your earliest days, you were kind of like a bookworm. Super intellectual girl at heart, right? Yeah. I love books more yeah. than anything. I don't, I have no nice clothes. I'm wearing the same <laughs> boots I've been wearing for 10 years, but I got books. You so. were one of the girls that was wearing the cool thrift store clothes before <laughs> that was cool. So. so I could spend all my money on like first edition copies of the bell jar, you know? <laughs> that's um, so can you hear my daughter? She's a dinosaur in the background. Oh, um, good dinosaur. Yeah, that's what All right, we're doing. So, you got a new book you're working on. What else is New going on? book. Uh, and our farm, Mischief Farm, we're getting ready to grow that a little bit. We've got a little bit of e commerce on our website, but my plans for the next year are to grow that into brick and mortar spaces and to start profiling uh, local artisans in the Hudson Valley. So, that is a course of action that I'm very excited about. Um, we've got the podcast. Drama Queens. Drama Queens. Um, so, I've got this television show I've been shooting since April that's getting ready to get announced. I think it's, they're going to announce it in like July. So, coming soon, but born out of my deep love for small towns. What about Jeff? Any uh, big projects coming up in the future? Well, this is the last season. Is it really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So he's filming the last season of The Walking Dead right now. Um, and then he's got to film another movie in the city for a few days. Like right now, his phone's ringing off the hook because everyone wants him. Yeah. Um, everyone wants a piece of Negan. And I'm like, listen, I got to deal with our daughter who is going to 
bite someone if he does not get home ASAP. So the balance between work and home is an ever going thing. Uh, And he manages it really beautifully. You know, he, he carves out time. I had to shower today. And so he just talked to her on FaceTime. So I could like go have a minute. Um, And he does it all the time. So he's such a good dad. And yeah, my my goal for him, this is my plan, is that I need him to do a show in New York. So let's just say it out loud. Let's put it into the ether. Uh, Called Hudson Valley Show. Hudson Valley. <laughs> we love cows. Um, is yeah. there a place we can go that our listeners can go to order from Samuel's Sweet Shop online? Just go to the Samuel Sweet Shop website. We have an All Instagram right. Samuel Sweet Shop, and that has a link to the website. But we do a, a ton of mail order. Um, so yeah, taking care of our businesses in town is so nice because you know when you call the shop, you talk to John, who's worked there since he was 15 years old, mm. and is now like a dad in town. So you're talking to a real community member who has nurtured this business for years. And it makes people feel like they're part of the community. And uh, always listen to our show. Yeah. And then as soon as you're done doing that, go listen to two episodes of Drama Queens. Oh, <laughs> we're going to have to get them to merge. So I'm telling you, you need to be an actor. One of these days, I'm going to rope you into doing a Christmas movie and you'll be like, I should have stuck with this in fifth grade. Oh, by the way, before we go, uh, I don't know that you know this about me, but I mean, you can see I'm doing the pod from my basement. Yeah, with all your you Christmas All of the Christmas. That, that's just a small sliver. <laughs> I, we have three Christmas trees that You're I put up. Uh, only because uh, we don't have room for more. I have a 12 foot Christmas tree I put in our foyer. What? A Christmas tree upstairs on the landing. I put a Christmas tree in the li- near the fireplace. I love Christmas. And the fact that you've done like three or four Christmas movies oh, warms like my heart. Seven. Like seven. Have you done seven? Oh my God. My goal is to do 30 so that there's like a Christmas movie every day between Thanksgiving and Christmas and then a couple more. Um, 30 days of Christmas with Hillary. Yeah. I mean, I still have <laughs> shelf life. If I'm what? I'm 38 now. So if I can do like 20 more Christmas movies over the next 20 years, yeah, I've got a month. That sounds I just exciting. love I I love that you've done that because that's such a cool I love Christmas. So everybody else wanted to play like heroin addicts and prostitutes <laughs> when we were young. And I was like, you guys are trying way too hard to be cool. I'm gonna go do the dorkiest thing you can do. <laughs> and yeah. look what you turned it into. A Woo! very successful career. Well, you're signed up for a Christmas movie. I've come on your show, so now you're gonna repay the favor. <laughs> so uh you have fans all over the world and yeah. wonderful family. And uh, by the way, my son talks about Gus all the time. When are we going to go oh. surfing with Gus again? Well, when are we going to go surfing again? Uh, I'm sure sometime in the future. But I, I just want to say uh, there are few people that you meet in life who are who you know are truly good people. You are a good, good person. And oh. uh very appreciative that you did this. I love you, bud. But Hillary, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I miss you, bud. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Utterly Moderate Podcast. Before we go, we want to remind you to visit our website, 
utterlymoderatenetwork.com. There you can find all of our podcast episodes and their companion resources, our guide to reliable news outlets, the contact page where you can suggest topics for future shows, and more. That's utterlymoderatenetwork.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us on our next episode. And until then, we'll play you out with friends of the show, the Riders in the Sky. Happy trails to you Until we meet again Happy trails to you Keep smiling until then Who cares about the clouds when we're together Just sing a song and bring the sunny weather Happy trails to you Till we meet trails to you until we meet again happy trails to you keep smiling until then who cares about the clouds when we're together just sing the song and bring the sunny weather happy trails to you Goodbye, good luck, and may the good Lord take a liking to you.